I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, and we're returning to the book of Luke. We've been working through a little mini-series called The Songs of Christmas, and so we'll just resume with that this morning. As we get ready to hear what God is about to say to us in the Bible, I wonder how many of you, this is going to be a, a different sort of Christmas for you, just for, for one reason or another, maybe changes in your life or maybe because of COVID. Okay, I'm seeing some hands there. Uh, I, I think while this might not be in our order of service, I sense the appropriateness of just praying for God's peace and God's guidance during this time. And and I'm also mindful of those of you who are not with us gathering today that this could be a, an unusual Christmas. And an unusual is not always bad, but sometimes in changes, when we, when we have an interruption, God, God's presence is made more clear to us than usual. And there's an opportunity for this, this change. So what I'd like to do is just take some time to pray. Would you pray with me as we think about this Christmas and for God's peace and for his grace to be felt in our lives? Lord, I thank you that I get to serve as, as pastor here. And, and I think it's appropriate for me just to call out on behalf of the church family and friends that we have with us today and just acknowledge that things look different in 2020 than they did in, in 2019. And for some, they'll, be, they'll just go on with their, their normal proceedings as if nothing has changed at all this year. But for many others within our family, this is a new change. There's, there's going to be an empty place setting there at the table. Uh, the time of gift exchange is going to look different. The stories and the, the tone of it will be felt. And, and there'll be those that, that could just be swallowed up by that loss. But what I would pray for, for them is them to experience grace this year. And, and, and it would be felt like assurance that you are, are still on your throne and you are going to minister and serve. And I pray for us as, as church family that we would be thoughtful and mindful sympathetic to needs around us, that that would, that would be proven in a note, in a, in a phone call, in a text, that we could really be the family to one another today, particularly for those of us who are present here. And we look around and maybe there's 40% of us that, that are not here yet. And so help us to be thoughtful uh, towards them and for those dear family members that are viewing online, I pray for your presence just to be very real to them and them to experience encouragement. And, and while things may change and the number of guests that we may have in our homes or the homes that we would visit may, may be less this year or maybe that we're not traveling like we usually do, I pray that it would still be as worship-filled as ever as we think of this Christ that was born and that came to die to take our place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, uh, why don't you look on with me? Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to what Charles Spurgeon called the first Christmas carol found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. That's the carol that the angels sang. But before we just read that verse, I see the value in reading the verses before it and after. So look with me now at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorified, praising God for all he had heard and seen, as it had been told them. May you bless the reading and now teaching of your word, our Lord. Amen. Before we can get to the song in verse 14, I think it would be appropriate to consider our setting. In verse 7 of this chapter, we see that baby Jesus is born. And then in verse 8, the first verse that I read, it says here, and in the same region, in the same area that baby Jesus was born, this is Bethlehem. This is the area that about a thousand years earlier, King David as a child was roaming the very same pastures. It is now an area known as the city of David. It says there, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I'm not sure I need to kind of go back and tell you how the shepherds were viewed in the first century. These were people that were middle or low class. They were uneducated. They certainly were not on the top rung of social status in the first century. If we were trying to think of a a contemporary equivalent, maybe we would think of that young man or that young lady at festival or or Woodman's or Pick and Save or at Walmart that, that bags our groceries. It's not that they're not of value. They're infinitely valued. They're, they're made in the image of God. However, we often don't even look at their name tag to identify them by their first name. We just say, thank you for, for bagging these groceries. Or maybe another equivalent would be, at least on our home, on late Tuesday morning, 
when the trash guy comes by with that wonderful truck with the claw on the side and picks up the trash can, brings it up to the side and shakes it and then slams it back down on the concrete. This is a man that I appreciate, I kind of admire, I would love to drive that truck one day, but I don't, I don't actually know his name. Or maybe another equivalent would be, if, if your house is like mine, there's this steady traffic during these last few weeks of, of packages being delivered on our front porch, whether it's either for groceries or whether it's for Christmas presents that will be wrapped and offered to someone else. These are important people, but they're not ones that we would say, these are the politicians or these are leaders of the community. And the shepherds are, are like that. We ought to take note that these are the recipients, the first recipients of the news of Jesus being born. Verse 9 then says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, when an angel appeared to Zechariah in chapter 1, or Mary in chapter 1, that angel identified himself as Gabriel. There's no identification here. It could have been Gabriel. It says here in the second part of verse 9, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, this Shekinah glory, and they were filled with great fear. This is a pattern that we saw in Zechariah and Mary as well. Angel shows up, humans get scared. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The, the, The Greek language here is that the angels are evangelizing the shepherds. They are sharing good news with the shepherds. And you'll note it's not just for the Jewish people, it's for all the people. Verse 11 then says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now there's three titles offered for this baby. There's the title Savior, there's the title who is Christ, and the Lord. That's who this child is. He's going to be a Savior. He's going to be Christ. The Old Testament equivalent of that is Messiah. It just means anointed one or promised one. The one that we've read about for thousands of years in the Old Testament that would save people from their sins. And he is authoritative. He is Lord. So there's this announcement that he is born. Now, now what should we look for? Is there a particular sign? Well, look with me at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So if you leave here and you'll go out looking for babies that were just born and you see that one that is lying in a manger, that's the one. That's the Savior. That's the Christ. That's the Lord. Verse 13 then says, And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Now, the word multitude in the Greek language does not give us a particular number. We don't know if that's a hundred. We don't know if that's a thousand. We don't know if that's a millions of angels. But there is this massive amount of angels that join this one. And it says here that they praise God. So I need to be honest because often we associate this passage with a choir of angels. Sing choirs of angels, right? However, it just says praising God here. 
And so I, I've got to be careful. I'm going to guess that they're singing, but it could be that they're just singing, Glory to God in the highest. They could have done that. So now let's look. We've considered the setting. Now let's consider the second part, and that is the song itself. Here in verse 14, I want to say that it's what we call a parallel. Here's what you got. Look again with me at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. So you have glory to God in the heavens. Glory to God in the highest. And then the second part of that song is this. On earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Glory to God in highest. Peace to man on earth. Do you hear a parallel there? Glory, peace, God, man, heaven, and earth. So let's first consider the first line of the song, and that is glory to God in the highest. Now the Greek word for glory, doxo, carries with it the meaning of praise and and honor and worship. But when we consider the word glory in the Old Testament, it it has this, this weight significance to it. In the 70s, it would be said, man, that is heavy, right? And, and that's what we have here when we refer to God. He is, he is heavy. He is significant. And the angels, as well as you and I, were created to bring glory to God. But the angels have something different than us, and that is they've always maintained that glorifying where you and I have fallen short of glorifying Him. So it says here, they bring glory to God, and they do that in the highest, in the heavens. And so this is the first phrase of the first Christmas carol that has ever been sung. I don't think we can improve upon that. Let's give glory to God. Now let's consider the second line of this Christmas carol. And it relates to peace to man on the earth. It says this, And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the announcement. This is the evangelism. This is the good news that is coming out from the angel to the shepherds. I've got great news for you. There is now peace available to you. Now this is a phrase that when we exchange Christmas cards that we will often see on the cover, is it not? Peace on earth. And exactly what do we mean by that? Is it the same thing that, say, David Bowie and Bing Crosby meant when they sang that Little Drummer Boy and Peace on Earth song in the early 80s? I don't even remember how it goes, but I love that baritone voice of Bing Crosby, and he's doing a rum-pum-pum-pum, rum-pum-pum-pum. And then you've got David Bowie that's singing over top of that, and he says, peace on earth. And I don't even know the rest of that, but I remember that part. And he's singing about some sort of a, a generic peace. May we not have war in the Middle East. May we not have conflict politically. Is that what the angels are proclaiming here? It is not. It is a specific peace that is now possible with the birth of a Savior. Let me give you three forms of peace 
that I think are being proclaimed by the angels here. You ready? Here's the first and most significant. It's peace with God. The most important peace that you need in your life is peace with God. Now, you may have come here this morning and think at Peace with God, that implies that I have conflict with God. And I have always appreciated God. I'm not at war with God. I'm not an enemy with God. However, the Bible would disagree with you. The Bible says that we are born and we have not given glory to God. We have fallen short of that glory of God. And all of us find ourselves opposed to God. Let me ask you this question right now. Who rules your life? There's only two possible people that can rule your life. It's either you or it's God. Who rules your life right now? And may God convince you, may I convince you this morning to to bend the knee and to, to lay the sword and say, God, I want you to rule my life. I want to surrender my life to you. And I appeal to you to do that. However, there is still your past. There is sin in your past that needs to be accounted for. Husbands, if you're like me, you know what it is to make a peace offering. That is, maybe you are harsh with your wife. You come home and you bring some of the pressures of work home and you are short and you are harsh with her and you hurt her feelings and there is this lingering division that is taking place within your home. And maybe the next day you say, I need to make that right. And so you go and bring, buy some flowers, or you buy a gift, and you present that as a peace offering. It's as if to say, listen, I know I messed up. I'll even say it this way, I sinned against you, and I should have made that right even last night, but I've allowed it to linger, and now I've made this sacrifice. And I'm coming to you, and I'm asking for forgiveness. Well, in the Old Testament... There was offerings that were provided. When this holy God was sinned against by people like you and I, there would be a sacrifice provided. It would be of an animal. It would be blood that would be shed. And and men and women would bring that and say, we realize we sinned. Will you now please forgive us? But Christmas represents something different. It represents God the Father providing the sacrifice for the sinner. He volunteers it as if to say, I desire to have a relationship with you. I want to bring you back to that parallel. Here you have God. May he be glorified, glorify God in the highest. And the second parallel is you want peace on earth to men. And there is this massive gap between a holy and fair God and a sinful man. Christmas represents the day in which there is an overlap and God became man and came among us to offer peace so that we could have peace with God. You know, sometimes the most significant gifts that we can receive are not packaged or wrapped. It's a lasagna that is brought over to you 
when your family is going through a crisis and you're sick or maybe someone was in the hospital, but on this particular evening, because someone made a sacrifice and were thoughtful, your family is eating well and you're sitting around the table and saying, this was an amazing gift. Maybe, maybe an impromptu night where friends just pop over and you are able to visit and you have side-splitting laughter. And as they get into their car and you see the taillights and ascend into the darkness, you think to yourself, God, thank you for that gift of just being able to have fun tonight. Or, or maybe another gift is after a weary and hard week or season of life, you kind of drag yourself out to the mailbox and you open the door and there is a card with well-crafted words that encourage your very soul. And that is worth more than any packaged present. Or in the year 2020, maybe a gift to you is when you open your email and you find out that your COVID test came back negative. But I want to suggest to you the best gift that was offered is not wrapped, wasn't packaged. It's through Jesus that we have a possibility to have peace with God. Have you ever received a gift that was intended to bless you, but on receiving it, it was actually a blow to your pride? It was a few years ago, and Melody's watching online, and I didn't ask for permission, so I'll probably be asking um, forgiveness for two different things when I get home. (laughs) But I can remember a time, I think it was Father's Day, where she, in her sweetness, thoughtfulness, uh, bought me a shelf with about five different levels for the garage. Now, in my family, uh, I I am the master of the garage, okay? She got everything else, but at least I get the garage, And so when she gave that to me, she said, this is so you can keep the garage tidy. And I thought to myself, what are you trying to say here? And so she meant to bless me, but she actually wounded my pride, which is not a bad thing. Husbands, imagine in a few days for Christmas, you open up a package that was given to you by your wife, and it's a book entitled, How to Stop Being Selfish, and to love your wife as she deserves to be loved. Or wives, how about you go to your stocking, if you have a stocking, and and you retrieve from there a book that was presented to you by your husband, and it says how to diet, and to look like you did on your wedding day. Or how about if on Father's Day or Mother's Day, your children gave you, mom and dad, a present, and it was a book that was entitled How to Stop Ruining Your Kids' Lives. Or, children or youth, what if on your birthday your mom and dad gave you a present, a book that said how to finally make something of your life, right? Would you say that's a gift, but there's something, there's something embedded in that, isn't there? Every time we see a manger, loved ones, that says something about our pride. It says something about our righteousness, It is a nuclear bomb to our self-sufficiency. It says you have no hope for peace with God. The only hope that you have is that God had to send himself and Jesus down to give you an opportunity 
for peace with God. And this is the message that is proclaimed from the angel to the shepherds. I got great news for you. You have an opportunity to have peace with God. Let me read to you just a few verses from the scriptures that underscore that. There is Isaiah 53 verse 5. It, but he was pleased Pardon me, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. In Romans 5 1, it says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this manger, and every time we see this manger, we ought to be driven to this thought, I lack righteousness. I have nothing that would allow me to have peace with God. God had to act on my behalf, and I'm here to tell you that's good news. So I told you there's three forms of this peace. The first is peace with God, and that is the most important. That is the entry point. That is the door. And unless you have peace with God, you won't have access to any of these other levels of peace. The second is peace with others. If you have peace with God, you can have peace with others. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord... He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Because when we have peace with God, we have received the forgiveness of sins. And then we we draw to that every moment, every day, and say, because I've been forgiven, now I am capable of forgiving others. And so we don't have any grudges or we can't hold bitterness or unforgiveness towards others. And it is the oil that greases our relationship. This grace we've received, we can now extend to others. We forgive others. Once again, I think of my sweet wife that has given ample opportunities. I came home last night and it was... I think there was a football game going on over here. And as I walked into the door, there was a little goal line stand taking place in our living room with our our three youngest as they were trying to advance the ball across the goal line. That resulted a little bit later of some footballs being thrown. And and I was the one, the violator here, as I I threw the ball and hit a beam and it hit the Christmas tree. And I didn't tell her this, but I broke an ornament. That's the third thing I'll be apologizing for when I get home today. And as a a result of my wife, who's received the forgiveness of God, she's had ample opportunity to now extend forgiveness, I hope, for that ornament when I get home. Can I tell you a pattern that I've observed in the church? It's so often what people do is to say, yes, I've received that forgiveness of God. Yes, I want to extend that and I want to love others. I want peace with others. And they go hard after it for a while. And then you know what they find? Is that everyone else is sinners too. And things get really messy. And they get hurt. And they pull back. And they say, I'm not doing that again. So I'm just going to live my Christian life in a sterile comfort of distance from others. I'll tell you a verse that has kind of become one of those verses that helped me in ministry is 
Proverbs 14, verse 4, that says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's saying this, loved ones, we have two choices. We can either have a very clean stable, a clean manger, clean area of life, but you will have no crops. You will have no fruit in your life. Or you can join the rest of us, and you can get in the pen, and you can do the work of ministry, and you can get messy, and you can get smelly. And there will be days when you're like, is it really worth continuing to do this? But according to that verse, that's where the fruit is. Put the boots on. Get the work clothes on. Help us. Help us to do the work of the ministry. Here at Highland Crest, one of the ways we do that is through our small groups and and Sunday school classes. And and I want to urge you not just to be an attender, but to listen, to hear what hurts people are going through and, and get in in the manger, get in on the stable, understanding it is going to be messy and you might be in over your head. And come to me, come to other leaders within the church that can help guide there. We'll pray together. We might not have answers. Maybe the answer is just prayer. But we need to, we need to be, have this peace with others. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus says, Happy, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This implies, listen to me, please, this implies as we are going through our ministry within our church or any other local church because we're sin and there's still indwelling sin within us, there's going to be conflict. But a peacemaker is not a peacekeeper that's only going to be silent and avoid that. But by the grace of God, say, let's bring that out. Let us have peace with one another. Let's apply the gospel in our relationships to each other. So when this message of good news was proclaimed by the angel to these shepherds. It was proclaiming peace. This wonderful message that you can have peace with God and that will lead to peace in your relationships. I'll give you a third then. This is the third level. And that is peace in circumstances. Now when the world thinks of peace... I think they're thinking of the eagles in that song in the 70s. I've got a peaceful, easy feeling, and I know you won't let me down. But if you look at those words and the verses of that, that's all about this temporary peace of having this infatuation with this young lady for like an evening. That is not the peace that we're speaking about here in the Scriptures in fact, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew would have understand that peace was to be complete, was to be whole, was to live well. This is not the tranquility that comes up when you're in your little property up in north and crivets and you're hearing the loon sing. This sort of peace is not the absence of noise. It's not perfectly compliant little children. It's not maintenance-free relationships. It's a peace that comes when you are in a clear relationship with God. You know Him, and as best you know, you are obeying Him. It's a peace that comes, and as best you know, you're working on the relationships 
beside you. And, and, and despite maybe conflict and troubles that are going on, you are assured that God is near. Before Jesus went to the cross, he said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How many of you have experienced this peace? How many of you are experiencing this peace? And could you put a dollar amount on that peace? I don't know that you could. I think there's times in my life, I think I would always say that I was probably, my family was probably in the, that middle class, and maybe there was time as a young boy that we were in the lower middle class, but I've always had needs that were met. And there's always been a little bit of a surplus, sometimes more of a surplus of, of money, a cushion to, to even supply some of my wants. But I can tell you that I've just been just as peaceful, just as happy in the, in the little when I had very little than when I've had more. And we probably all know someone that is very wealthy and have an abundance of things, but lack peace. And so when this message is being proclaimed by the angel to the shepherds, he said, you're going to have access to peace, peace with God, peace with others, and even peace in your circumstances. And I want to add a third, maybe a, maybe a three and a half or a fourth one. And that is, we think about this peace. I won't spend a lot of time on this. I think it's peace as we look at our future. I'm kind of troubled, if I could be honest. I'm kind of troubled by so many evangelicals that seem to be fretting over the next four years. Where is that peace? We have been given peace not only for the first, next four years, but for the next 400 years. And as we think about this peace that is being proclaimed, it is a peace that extends not only to the first arrival of Jesus, but also his second arrival. Right now we look around and we see conflict. We see a storyline of boys being abducted there in Nigeria. We think of political conflict here in America. We think this is a mess. Where is this peace Well, yes, we can have peace with God, but eventually there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be this abiding peace that will arrive. And that's also a part of this proclamation. Now, there's verse 14. We've got to wrap this up here because there could be a little trouble for you. I'm going to review it again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's not how Linus said it in the Peanuts, is it? He he was quoting from the King James that talks about peace on earth and goodwill to men. It seems to carry two different thoughts. But I think as we look at the Greek and more modern translation, there's just one thought. There is peace to man on earth. But then there is this little phrase here in verse 14 that says it's those with whom he is well pleased. It seems as if we have a little Calvinism here mixed with our Christmas. So what in the world does he mean by this peace is available to those with whom God is well pleased? Well, I'm going to relieve some of that tension for you as we read the next few verses. 
Who is it that God is pleased with? Who is it that can attain this peace? Let's just read the next verse or two. It says here, verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So who are those with whom God is well pleased. Are you ready for this? It's those who hear the good news and receive it. The word is one out. The ones who can receive this peace are the ones who receive it. So this morning, I don't know why God has allowed me to be here in front of you today. I could think of a lot more qualified, more suitable persons. But he's permitted me to have this privilege of joining the angels. The same message that was proclaimed on that first Christmas, I proclaim to you today. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with one another. You can have peace in your circumstances, and you can have peace as you look towards your future. Here's all you got to do, is you got to receive this gift. Would you receive that today? What would keep you from doing that? Well, what does it mean to receive this gift? It means to acknowledge that manger, that Jesus came Because you lack righteousness and you cannot be made peaceful with God. You needed God to act on your behalf to receive what he has done for you. Have you done that? It would mean that you would need to acknowledge that you've been king of your life, but now you want God to be king of your life and to rule every area and surrender. Have you done that? Here is the good news. Here is the gift of this Christmas, peace, that is provided through Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this song that I think is just so clear to us. Yes, we want to glory and glorify you. The truth is none of us have adequately done that. And yet you've come and with the angels have proclaimed that we could have peace with you. And and with that proclamation is an awareness that we lack goodness. We are not good enough to be made right. So there was this gift that injures and forever wounds our pride. And that's exactly what we need. So we come to the end of ourselves and we receive this gift. So, friend, if if you've never trusted Christ to save you, 
And, and you, through the scripture this morning, have seen yourself and seen truth that what you really need to do is to receive this gift to be born again. Why don't you do that right where you're at? I want to give you some time. Don't, don't have me lead you in a prayer. Just cry out. Say, I, I desire to have peace with you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Father, it is a joyous thing to be able to receive the gift that you've intended. To be counted among those whom you are well pleased, not because of good works that we've done, but because we've received this gift of grace. Thank you for this gift, and may we not hold it to ourselves, but be eager to share it with others today and the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've trusted Christ, if you've received that gift today, if you're online or here in person, you ought to be looking for some change in your life. There ought to be a desire to read the Bible, a desire to obey the Bible, a desire to be among God's people, a desire to follow through in, in, in baptism. So look for these things in your life, and we would be happy to come alongside you and encourage you in your, your new life. We're going to sing this song, Just As I Am, and if there's a way that I can uh, be here up front to pray with you, I would be honored to do that. As we stand now, let's sing this song. If there's a question you have about following Jesus, I'll be here at the front.